Vaccine. I'm Steve, and Adam Myros has COVID. No, probably not. It, it seems like I just have a dry sinus thing that's giving me a little, little cough. But I gotta say, oh yeah, first first cough Sounds, since all uh, this started. Uh huh. Uh huh. Sounds a lot like the symptoms of COVID. Me, you test yet? Huh? No, Steve, I have not. Oh it, wow. It Are you afraid of your own morning. mortality? Huh? You you you, oh, you afraid to leave this yes. mortal coil? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I I think that's kind of the the nature of, of being alive and, and understanding that you're going to die. You, you should be afraid because, uh, you know, you're hurtling towards nothingness. If you're not afraid, you're probably one of these psychos packing guns and, you know. That's fair. Like one of these Atlantis interceptors or something. Do, do you think, Adam, think when the should... time comes, you'll look back with regret on not having watched Diodato films enough? I think uh, as much as I've enjoyed this, I, I think... We're probably right about where we need to be with old uh, Ruggiero here. Oh, there's <laughs> got to be some right more classics out point. there. I it think that you should take an Ebola syndrome approach to whatever disease you have and just, you know, walk around campus, walk into your film class, hack up a lung on everyone in front of you. I, I don't I don't really see any downsides to that. Uh, I mean... If it if it stays at this very um, minor level, then I think that the, probably the solution I will uh, approach it with is is to bust out the old mask. It's it's just time to mask up once more. But uh, you know, if it worsens, I will uh, I, I will consider myself a danger to public health and uh, proceed accordingly. That's good. I, I mean, the viewers want to know. Obviously, we we don't want our patrons to pull out because you're a uh, you know anti-vax, anti-test, anti-mask anti-face diaper as you say frequently I, I mean i have i have multiple vaccines we're, we're, we're gonna be all right on that front but uh you know mm. <laughs> i don't want this uh, uh, this jack uh, information getting out here steve <laughs> jack's here today as well jack i have a horrible problem i have i have a disease as well but it's not covid uh i feel this pressing desire to be tapped into popular culture, specifically things that I know I probably won't like. And I, 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 watched, I watched some Wednesday the other day. And how do you think that went for me? Well, you know, I, I've seen a little bit of that show. Um, it's a little cello instrumental of Nothing Else Matters. Uh, <laughs> really, really good stuff. Um, I don't know how it went for you. I mean, I know you're a Metallica fan, big metalhead, always listening yeah. to the old Metallica, booting it up. You know how there's like there's like Metallica fans, and then there's like Metallica fans that just kind of like smell like dirty socks. So the dirty sock kids, they used to love the cello Metallica because there's uh, there's a whole band and they're oh, yeah yeah Apocalyptica. Yeah, big. No, I mean, you see, that's the yeah. thing. I don't know if this Mel is a newer... That's different. <laughs> no, I, yeah, and no, that's the thing. thing. I don't know on Wednesday if it's a new arrangement. I'm because I'm not going to go and listen to Apocalyptic at a check. It was just sort of one of those things. I was mm -hmm. like, what? What is happening in the living room? And I went out, and it turned out <laughs> Wednesday was on. That's right. Playing her <laughs> fucking cello. Yeah, I don't yeah, know, man. Jack like, briefly I... thought his wife busted out his old fucking double disc <laughs> of S and M. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's not on oh, that. Yeah. They, they've just got the ecstasy of gold or whatever. They got a little Ennio Morricone bit there. And then, God, that, what the hell was the point of that album? Jesus, that was a wasted opportunity, regardless of what you think of Metallica's music. Uh, well, anyway. I mean, Metallica, to their credit, they, uh, they were putting out some bad music. And then they said, okay, why don't we pump the brakes and just put out stupid things for a little bit? And then we'll go back and we'll make even worse music. And they've really committed the bit because we had uh, Garage Inc. and S&M uh, <laughs> right after Reload. Everyone's right, favorite yeah, album, I mean, Reload. It, the whole thing for me with Metallica was like, and I, I mean, as a teenager, I was a huge Metallica fan. I listened to them constantly and I thought they broke up for several years until <laughs> a new album appeared. I was like, I could have sworn they said they weren't going to do that. Um, and so I, I don't even know. Are they still? I think they're still around because oh, yeah, there they're, was a they're, yeah, there was a performance yeah. here. Pretty soon they did a secret show in Chicago I last year, a, year before last, where it was like uh, it was announced the day of and you had to pay like $20 to get in. Like it was super cheap, tiny venue, but you basically had to know about it the day of. And there was like a line snaking all the way around like multiple blocks of people hoping to get into it i don't even think it's legacy i think they had like a new album last year probably Uh, which god god knows how i mean i could see why they they had to get back in the studio when you had a corker like saint anger you just had to you couldn't you know i mean you're thinking they're coming up on what like this is coming up on their 40th plus year of of working together really they're over 40 years old mm-hmm. as a band you think maybe at this point with all the the know-how and little things they've picked up along the years maybe they figured out how to record a drum set and they're just gonna no, put yeah, that in no. and just one album just one album is gonna have like just a normal like drum sound that everybody like that just sounds okay that sounds like a, a regular drum kit and then they'll break up that's the goal Check, you, you get old. Dreaming. Every every member of Metallica has gotten demonstrably worse at everything that they do for the band <laughs> in, the, in the years since maybe, Master maybe of Puppets. That's, yeah, that's true. And they still don't let the bassist do anything, I don't think. Being the bassist in Metallica must suck. The last one who left, because he's like, you won't let me write songs, you won't let me play music, you can't hear me in the mix. And they just got another bass player who you also can't hear in the mix. So, good <laughs> yeah, for him. Like, likes, he, he and at the same time, he's... Paycheck. Right, yeah, at the same time, he's probably one of the best-paid bass players in the world, so, mm-hmm. yeah, why not? What more can he ask for? Well, you know, the reason I brought up uh, the Wednesday thing is because Netflix does this consistently where they have these shows, and I feel like they start off as something completely different, and it's just like a mold, it's like a template, and then they just drop an IP on it, they spin the wheel and whatever it lands on, so... This show, it feels like they wanted to do like X-Men or something. And then they spun the wheel and it landed on Adam's <laughs> family. So they just gave like the Adam's family, like fucking X-Men powers. And then they have this whole narrative about how, uh, well, they're not called mutants. They're called like outsiders or something, but <laughs> all these people with special powers what? and then the pilgrims murder them. Yeah. It's, it's really fucking funny. What the- <laughs> Why? Why? Couldn't yeah, you just make yeah. it the Adams family? Isn't he just calling them the outsiders? No. <laughs> just going to be really confusing for daily conversations because they're still going to be outsiders in any given community. Yeah, Why would you call them be, that? 
I but because there's there's normies and there's uh, it might be outsiders or oh, outcasts outcasts that's outcasts what it is. Oh, I mean there's like, still outcasts where does pony too. boy fit in all of this <laughs> it's fucking great it's just x-men that's all it is is fucking x-men all, well, all i know is it's got a, a row of like musical sting set to set to music that's the problem like uh, they put on mm-hmm. netflix shows in the in the background when i'm working and it's just it's just constant needle drops like 24 7 it's maddening i don't care if the shows yeah. are good or not it's just with that they just have so much music used all the time it's just it's really really annoying it can't a huge be problem good. for Jack because he can't monetize his uh, workday uh, Twitch stream. True, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Exactly. That. And you know, I've been trying. I've been trying that for a while now, uh, but no one really seems to care <laughs> about you know you pump, punching all the yeah. shit into Excel and you know this and that. So maybe later. I don't know. <laughs> I would love to watch you just like live streaming while you break HIPAA laws in an Excel sheet and then <laughs> licensed music plays in the background. That's That'd be it. Fucking yeah, sick. I mean, the real question is which gets you first, uh, the the copyright or the HIPAA? Yeah, it's it's a it's a real race to see. Well, I mean, uh, but, I, I mean, copyright is is uh, enforced by private industry so it'll get to you first check don't worry about it. That, that is That's true. true. I just love the idea of yeah, just sharing out like a bunch of like just like like personal health insurance phi just over over everyone's screens on twitch that could be you know i mean it's probably happened let's be honest uh it's it's the next thing man frankly the only I mean, the only thing i know about this here adam's family show is that there 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 keeps being news stories in the old feed about some viral uh, dance or something and that that was oh, enough yeah. to make me the go TikTok well i'm not dance. gonna watch that yeah, there is a, yeah there's the wednesday dance i don't know what happens in it but it was very very popular i'm just sure does any of this have anything to do with rogero diodato uh, yeah what's, does it this all tie ties in? back i was oh i'm curious yeah, How i was gonna, this i was gonna tie it in well uh the, the reason is is because i was thinking like I, I i don't like this and clearly they said well let's do x-men and then we'll hire tim burton to just fucking do nothing and then we'll graft the Adams family over this, and and then we've just packaged this like pile of slop that doesn't have a single original idea. And then I was like, "What the fuck are these Diodato movies that we watched this week?" <laughs> and honestly, I, I and I'm I'm trying to wrestle with this because like Italian film director does a riff on something much more popular or interesting, and they just do a cheap version of it. I'm like, "Yes, I love it. Give me more." And then Netflix does, and I'm like, I fucking hate you. I want to gut you. I think a key Why thing is, is that Ruggiero Diodato has never made a 10 hour long movie. That's yeah. one yeah, that's key true. point. And then two is that just, you know, the cheap knockoff has its own characteristics, whereas the moderately funded photocopy is who cares about that? That's not a thing. That's somehow, no matter like how, how many dollars you strip away from these productions. You can't stop these guys from making things that look amazing, uh, as opposed to anything on Netflix, which no matter how much money you give them, you can't stop it from being bland slop. No, it, it all it all looks the same. I think it's really funny they got Tim Burton to do it, too, because the whole show like takes place at this like school for magical X-Men, Adam's family, goth mutants. And then I was like, didn't he fucking make that movie already? Didn't he make like Tim Burton's home for magical children a few years ago? Like what? they're like, yeah, let's get that guy. He need, we need him. We need him to come back and do this again. Well, I mean, um, I guess the Metallica makes a lot more sense now. They're really going for things that like 
fell off a cliff yeah. in 1994. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, that brings us to our first movie, which is Waves of Lust. And, and this is a formula I can get behind. You know, when someone says, do you want the X-Men, but it's Adam's family and it's like goth, but not really. I, I say no. I, say, I have no interest in the dumb baby show for dumb babies. I don't. What I do have interest in is someone watching like Antonioni or uh, like Polanski's Knife in the Water and being like, you know, this needs more titties. And then they do it. They go out and they execute it. So Waves of Lust, directed by Diodato, uh, written by our boy, Lumberto Bava. Shout out, Lumberto. I know you're listening. And this one I love because Lumberto Bava legitimately wrote this as a riff on like Knife in the Water. And Diodato thought that was the movie that he signed on to direct. But then he got on set and they had just added all this porn into it. So he was just like, all right, fuck it. So... <laughs> Which rocks too, because I think he was like married to one of the women in the movie. I I find it hard to believe that Diodato wasn't like absolutely ground zero on adding all the porn. Because I mean, (laughs) if we're learning any, if we're learning anything from from this series, is that uh, he seems to he seems to enjoy having ladies he's having affairs with uh, get felt up on screen. I mean, between this and Last House or the House on the Edge of the Park, I mean, you know, Diodato's girlfriends are are a key part of the magic of his movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> There's nothing he enjoys more than showing anyone with a 35 millimeter projector, uh, or the ability to view a print, his girlfriend's boobs. He just, he loves it. He says, take, look, take he a look wants, at he just, he just wants to see his, yeah, his, his wife, I believe at this point, uh, Maybe she was mm-hmm. still a girlfriend then, but certainly wife for a couple of years before she left him for reasons that are probably self-evident <laughs> if we were to actually check. Uh, yeah, he just wants to see her blown up on the big screen, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it worked because uh, despite <laughs> what this movie is and how dull it can be, I think, uh, it ended up being pretty successful domestically for Diodato, and this was kind of what catapulted him into his position as, as a, I, I will let's not say a premier Italian director, but, uh, you know, he was up there. Upper mid, I would yeah, say. He was at a, a lot more money than a lot of these uh, people we've covered in the past. He's, he's not Joe D'Amato. Yeah, for sure. sure. And I no, mean, no. it's it's a winning <laughs> formula because it is, it's art house adjacent. It's, it's like a psychosexual yeah. drama, but it's mostly just sexual. So, you know. Yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, when we describe it like that, a lot of people are probably nodding along and they're like, oh, yeah, 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 this sounds like my shit. I love Jess Franco. Like, let's fucking do this. I'm ready. I'm ready for Waves of Lust. Uh, it, it is all the things that we have said that it is, but it's also, like, cripplingly boring. And the <laughs> way that it's structured, it just needs to be a porno. This should just be a porno. 100%. Yeah, I, I think you you and I agree that, like, honestly, I think Ways of Lust could actually be a pretty decent hardcore flick, and it probably should be, because fundamentally, it's, I mean, it's about basically a rich couple. It's like, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf on a boat with fucking? 
Um, it's a, like a rich couple mm-hmm. who are, you know, it's a wealthy industrialist with his wife who he horribly mistreats and humiliates. Uh, and they just invite another couple onto his yacht to kind of like kind of work for him. But they're also, you know, kind of just sunning themselves. But he basically wants to bang the, the wife of the other couple. And she's open to it. She's mm-hmm. fine with it. And her husband's also open to it. It's fine. With it. It's like, you know, the European continental stereotype. Like everybody's just like, that's fine. We'll just all fuck each other. Perfect. And, you know, there's all these antagonisms within the film kind of from a class perspective um, and obviously there's this uh, like violence between the men and the women I mean there's, there's a strong vein of misogyny through the here and the, the wealthy industrialist is a real piece of shit he, he's just very awful to his wife and very awful to everyone else as well and most of this would play out nominally in the sex scenes uh, in kind of the yeah. release of, of those and instead every sex scene is pretty much just some boobs and some bush which is not particularly yep. uh, you know kind of not, not exactly untoward in Italian films or European films of this era it's nothing particularly striking or interesting about that and then it just kind of goes back to them just talking in circles on the boat you know kind of playing with each other you know, pointing jabs and barbs at each other. Re- you know, if this were a hardcore film, I think the sex scenes could actually genuinely illuminate the characteristics or the, the relationships between the people. And it's just not there. Like, like this is, to me, it's kind of like Roberta Findlay, like a woman's torment, you know, like it's a great example of like an 80s porno that covers some similar ground to this and manages to insert hardcore sex scenes and tease out narrative through that. This could do with that. Instead, it's just kind of like it's it's really it's just kind of a superficial softcore porno and it, it doesn't really escalate effectively within that mode because it has to basically shy away from the exact thing it's probably thinking it has on its mind at all times. But why? I guess like I don't know what the market for this is to an extent. I, I mean, I guess it was financially successful, but it's like. It feels like he's he's really trying something here. Like I'm gonna make something important, which it's it's so derivative that it it fails on that front. But like this film isn't it it isn't like it censors its sex scenes. There aren't sex scenes. Like <laughs> these the whole boat trip, except for the very denouement at the end. It's just like a series of like blue balls scenes. Like no nobody fucks. This is a fuckless boat trip. <laughs> it's it's true and it, it's and i don't know how much of that comes about there, i mean there, there's a lesbian sex scene but it's kind of like i mean it's hard to know how much of it is inferred versus shown directly um you know like there, there's an enormous amount of nudity in this everyone's just like the, the women are like just i'm like frank dreb and naked gun like pull on their collar and their clothes fall off just <laughs> continually throughout the entire film it's ridiculous um but yeah you know i mean looking at the copy we had there there was a bunch of deleted scenes uh which were i don't know if they were reinserted for the english version or removed but there's obviously were multiple cuts of this films and most of those were the most extensive you know closest to sex scenes i i am wondering by the mm-hmm. early 70s if making this thing they were a little bit conscious of how much they could get away with and it's like it's fine to have everybody being naked so long as no one really you know as long as you don't lean too much into sexual activity beyond that it's it's tricky to say and you know i mean whether they have sex or not or they don't or it's a continual kind of a dance between them and blue balls 
it does it doesn't really elaborate on the story anymore. And I mean, it, fundamentally, what it says is like there's something missing from this film. I think, um, and it's it's not really it can't be derived satisfactorily from the material that's in there. It just feels like there's kind of a hole at the center of it. Well, I I mean, to me, the absence of sex is somewhat fundamental to what it's trying to do thematically in the way that it's painting the rich man, Giorgio, as, as sort of impotent uh, in sure. his, his way. And also the fact that he's essentially trying to uh, make Iram and, and Barbara the second class, you know, subservient slaves on this boat. And uh he will not he he per, he has gifted his wife to Iram this sort of virile productive lower class man and uh but he will not allow them to consummate at any point uh unless he uh explicitly permits it uh so it, it's odd it's all textual that there's no sex occurring on this trip um but again maybe that <laughs> i don't know if that's in the original text or if it's just like a workaround what but it is the the problem for me is that it doesn't really go anywhere it feels like they should kill someone should die like a, a half hour into this movie and then we can go on from there but really it's just like the motives of barbara and Irum are perpetually nebulous even through the very resolution of the film you're like why did they even fucking <laughs> go on this boat trip like what are they planning to do what do they even think about uh, Giorgio's wife, Sylvia, like, what is, what are these people? Like, are, are, are they She, she dies and they don't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it is tricky because, yeah, I mean, I think as the lower class couple, they are, they're not in any way representative of the working class. Uh, the, the It's all about the entrepreneurs. It's all about the wealthy industrialist and everyone else is just kind of in his orbit. Yeah, they, I mean, there's a lot of stuff here that just doesn't really work. And I mean, I I take your point certainly that textually the the lack of sex or the lack of consummation is is important, but I think that could also have been derived through sex scenes in a much more interesting fashion, in a much edgier fashion. Because oh, the film I agree. feels sure. the film feels like it wants to lean into that, but it can't. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was an uh, you know a cut of this somewhere floating around in the Netherlands where someone stuck in a bunch of hardcore stuff. Um, but <laughs> frankly, like at the end of it, it's pretty much just, I mean, it's, it's like spot the J and B bottle is what I ended up doing. I was just like, Oh, look, there's one in that scene. There's one in that scene. This is just the most Italian film of its era. This is a film where two women walk into a bedroom and there is already an open bottle of J and B scotch whiskey on the bedside table. And this is in a boat. So they're just leaving open bottles of whiskey unattended <laughs> everywhere. And I guess if you're rich enough and that's what you want to do, although I can't imagine if you're really rich that you're going to drink J and B of all goddamn things. So <laughs> uh, who knows? Have you ever had J and B? It's oh, fucking God, disgusting. It's, awful. it's fucking dark. We're going to have to do some like some research here. I want to know if, if the Italians, if this is what they really drink, because that's I, I can't even imagine. I mean, it, there's no, that. there's no just, product. They pour it straight in a glass and just shoot it. No, they yeah, just, no, it's it's, it's fucking like, weird. I don't think there's any contractual thing for it, but I mean, it's like the running joke. Everything, you know, like J and B whiskey, is every giallo, every Italian film you see of of the seventies and eighties. Like, if anyone's drinking, that's what they're drinking. If there's ever a party scene, you will see that bottle and that logo 
you know, somewhere. Every bar they go to, it'll be on the back shelf. It's just, it's everywhere. It's got to be the cheapest option on the shelf for most. I mean, it's probably the cheapest scotch mm. you can buy. And it's caustic. It's it's terrible. But yeah, you're right. They just drink it straight. Yep. And it's like, yeah, these people are fucked up. There's just no way an adult, like, if you're, if you're wealthy at all, the first thing you're going to throw away is that stuff. You can do better. Oh, Jesus, absolutely. just a bottle of Jim Bean would be effortlessly more palatable and, and probably the same price even with <laughs> importing. Yeah, this uh, the amount yeah. of J&B that this Giorgio fellow is meant to have consumed during the course of this movie. I, you would, I think your stomach would just like dissolve. It would give way. <laughs> be over. They wouldn't need to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, no wonder he's in no. such a foul temper all, all times. This is what he's just downing glass bottle after bottle and then throwing it like a failed rock star like you change man and throws yeah. a bottle of j and b across the across the boat but yeah i mean this is just it's 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 you it's one of those movies where you can kind of see what it's doing and you see what it's aiming for but it just it just never coalesces into like a real cinematic experience it's very it feels like and for a film that's full of like beautiful naked women uh, it just feels absolutely ice cold to the touch. It's it's a very peculiar film. Yeah, it's like mm -hmm. uh, well, I think that one of the problems for me beyond the fact that it's just so repetitive at a certain stage is that it is it's not really a genre film other than I, I guess you could call it like a, a a sex film if you will, but it's it's very tame on that front. But as something that almost purports to be straight up drama. It's tackling material, even with the same symbolism that, that I have seen done by real auteurs. And uh, sorry, Ruggiero, this is you've done some great stuff. Uh, this is a deep pool for you to be in, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't quite match up. It doesn't have the, it, you know, I mean, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf has that like incredible dynamism between its two central stars and that caustic script. Maybe it's all lost in translation, I don't know, but this just seems to be pretty pretty dull kind of conversations over and over again before everyone just pulls their clothes off and, and someone gets something thrown at them and then it resets and that happens about 16 times and then they have a death, finally, about an hour and 20 minutes in. And they have another one about an hour and 23 minutes in, and that's the movie. That's it. That's all you need. Well, how do you follow up a softcore boat movie? And uh, that's that's the question on everyone's mind. And this was, it was commercially successful, Waves of Lust. So, uh, makes sense that Diodato made basically his Marvel movie. Uh, <laughs> it's wall-to-wall -wall detached action. It's about some cops that are good guys, but they're dickheads, and they're killing bad guys who are also dickheads, and everyone's a dickhead. It's live like a cop, die like a man. <laughs> I don't even think they're sold as good for guys. It's like a movie about a death squad. <laughs> yeah, no, no, That's this what is they are. not. I know. It's like... <laughs> this but is... I mean, like, ostensibly, it's like... It's not like... They're, they're not presented as, like... These are some cops that bend the rules for justice. It's like, no, they're they're like, no, you're part of an elite squad. You just just get things done. 
any means necessary. It's I mean, it's bad. wild. They, they, they like get things, people indiscriminately. Yeah, they, they get things done and their bosses are like literally at some point just kind of shrugs because he can't stop his men from just murdering people in the streets. Uh, it's it's live yeah. like a cop, die like a man. It's always been, uh, it's a weird film to me because I've seen it a couple of times over the years and it always strikes me in that it's not a very good thriller. It doesn't, no. like, nothing in it really no. stands out from a thriller perspective. It doesn't have any great set pieces. The characters are pretty much just walking, like, Nazi youth. Like, the two the, the two main lead cops are pretty much just, like, Aryan supermodels, effectively. And um, it's got that weird gay kind of subcurrent in their relationships, how these two dudes just, like, share a bedsit and run a train on women and so on like it's, it's really it's really <laughs> they have weird all these pictures on their walls just like yeah we're straight because we yeah, got these yeah, pictures no. of women spread buttholes very weird but what what strikes me about the film and why i think it's it's why i think it is it's a really important film i think and it's it really is a, a unique and interesting film is because obviously within, within the genre of the poliziotteschi or whatever the the like italian crime movie which were huge in the 70s particularly they kind of mm -hmm. came up and uh, this is one of those and they were you know really action-packed crime thrillers uh, this is just the meanest fucking movie like it is insanely it's so mean it's just hilarious awful it opens with probably the most brutal handbag snatching crime in history they just drag the lady down the sidewalk and then smash her head off a lamppost to grab a fucking handbag and then there are two cops valiantly chase them down on on motorcycles and then just murder them just like casually kill one of them survives the initial attempt so they just snap his neck on the street and then they go home They're, like the movie is just it's all like brutal everyone in this movie sucks yeah. everyone's just yeah. terrible <laughs> yeah and that's the thing like it's not it's not some critique of the police or anything because you've got your like fucking you know, fascist super soldiers with badges running around murdering people because, yeah, like you said, like just everyone is terrible and mean. It's just so fucking like maximum black pilled. Uh, yeah, it's about it's, as nihilist as it can get. It's like if if uh, I don't know if you guys saw Phil Tippett's film Mad God, the the stop motion movie, which is like a mm -hmm. vision of Sodom and Gomorrah of a of a of a kind of like a society in complete free fall, just utter, just malice and disgusting, just destruction throughout. It's basically like if, if a cop story happened there, like that's their vision of Italy. It's just, it's <laughs> yeah, like hell. Italy. Everyone's a monster and it's just awful. And you, yeah. you can't root for the good guys. The good guys are despicable. They're fucking awful people. Uh, and even their mm -hmm. discussions, they have their discussions with like their money penny figure, who is Silvia Dionosio, who, who is, uh, was Diodato's wife still, I think, maybe around this time, but she was in Waves of Lust. She was she was in that. Uh, in this, she keeps her clothes on for the entire thing, unless there's some other cut around. But she's basically like the secretary of the police station of the special squad. And they have these, like, playful reposts with her about where they basically just, like, walk in. They're like, so, we want to bang you. And like, and, and she's just like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to be banged by you guys because I think you're disgusting, misogynist pigs. And they just have this weird back and <laughs> forth that is not, 
not it's not like a James Bond like you know money penny James Bond kind of like you know playful reports these people are fucking hate each other and that's and this is like the <laughs> playful banter in the office let alone when they start talking to the actual bad guy who Dude, they barely have any cleaning contact lady with. right like, yeah literally like a like a like a 60 year old woman shows up to like clean their disgusting apartment and then they they like pay her and then they're like hey i liked when you got sick last week and your daughter came and we banged her and this is after they smack her ass as well like after they like harass yeah. her like so they sexually harass her and then they joke about getting her her granddaughter pregnant like the whole thing is like there's, there's nothing playful in this movie there is nothing fun in this thing it's just awful it's and like it's yeah. I it's mean, such an element the of these fun. things sure I mean, is it i guess i it's one of the it's like <laughs> What is the police work? Like, you want to see, like, them solving something in this sort of movie, right? But it's really just like, hey, I need you guys to run recon on this mansion. And they just show up, murder a guy, and set everything on fire and leave. <laughs> <laughs> That's that a like, hey, We got to tip about some bank robbers. They just drive up in the middle of the street and, like, shoot four guys who are just standing on the street corner. And drive yeah. and just murder. Like, the number of times they murder men in broad daylight in front of crowds is insane. Yeah, and that's these are just not like, guys, like, currently perpetrating a crime. They, they're just... I, I suppose they're, like, lookouts, but these cops would really have no way of confirming that. They just wheel up Blast them between the eyes and fucking roll away. And it's away. a kind of film. It's a kind of film where after, like, it would be you could easily stick it a scene afterwards where, like, they're just like, "Hey, those four guys you murdered in the street." It turns out they were just civilians, and it wouldn't change the film at all. Like, they just go like, "Whatever," no. and keep going. It's you know, and and yeah. so like this civilians, what me. I fucked one of them last week. <laughs> That's what they would so, say. Well, that was the other big. That was the other big piece of the investigation, right? They they go over to the crime boss's uh, alleged apartment, uh, which is apparently. Uh, his sister is living there, I believe, along with his like a nymphomaniac daughter, who they just proceed to uh, uh, mm -hmm. run a train on for no reason. Yep. And then yep. the uh, the like nice old aunt like makes some sandwiches or something, and then they just fucking leave. <laughs> and I'm like, what is this goddamn <laughs> like this? And I still like jacket feels like a TV, like one of those. Uh, you know, in the 70s where they take like a TV series and re-edit it and air it as like a, a movie on ABC Saturday night or something. But that's what this feels like. Yeah, There's yeah. no thrust to like the mystery. It just doesn't feel like, like I have no idea what's, it's just so episodic, but it's yeah, entertaining. The, the whole, it's the whole like cool their, action and mean dickheads. That's it's just it. like but fucking no complete like the Mussolini fascism, like uh, run wild. <laughs> Essentially, the whole thrust of their police work, yeah, is to just get guys out in the open so they can get a clear shot at them. Like, there's no question of investigation mm -hmm. or pressing charges or anything like that. And so it, it is interesting. It's written by Fernando DeLeo, who is uh, one of the great crime thriller directors from, from Italy. He did, like, Caliber 9, and uh, I'm trying to think of the name of his other ones. Uh, God, what's uh, some of them, like... They're amazing. Anyway, anything with Fernando De Leo, fully recommend. So written by him, and all of his movies have like this caustic edge too. And I mean, it's it's very much typical of the genre because I mean, no one wants to like 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 those movies are not about building cases and arresting bad guys. It's always you know it's an action movie. It comes down to like fraught stakes, and they gotta like stand up and be the the man who takes charge and kills the bad guy this one just kind of like removes any of the forerun they just like these guys just kill people and just execute people 
at also, will. Also, they don't kill the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, the chief dude just gets away. Um, and in short, the, the conclusion is absolutely baffling because it's pretty much like these guys. Because these guys, are they even good at their jobs? No. Not particularly. Uh, they just nearly get themselves killed and then their boss bails them out at the end. And then they're just kind of like, ha let's blow up a boat. And that's, and freeze frame, we're done. Uh, it's it's a really interesting film, but I like I say it doesn't have very standout set pieces for its action. There's uh, the, probably the best se- sequence in terms of like technical craft is where they're going. They go into the mountains to like target practice, and they just like jump around at each other like on each side of a valley and they just kind of roll and shoot and roll and shoot and they're shooting at like cans over each other's head and it's kind of an interestingly constructed action montage which gets less interesting once some guys show up to try and kill them and it turns into like a real action sequence nothing in the film is like particularly successful in on that mode but what i think does like i say distinguishes this as like a quintessential poliziotteshi film is just how goddamn mean it is. I think, like, it really, it, it, it separates itself from, like, one of the meanest genres in film history by making the rest of them look slightly normal. Like, this is just off the charts nasty. Uh, so, well done, Diodato. I, yeah. And I don't know if that came from him or DeLeo's script, but, uh, like, it's just, it's wild this film it's just and they're like the two main guys are just like they have their little cravats and their their nice shirts they just they just ride around on a motorcycle both of them on one motorcycle together and they just ride around rome and then just get off every so often to murder people yeah i yeah sounds like my perfect life (laughs) i I don't know why you want anything different when you yeah it's a movie you can't really ask uh, cultural questions about because you're like what 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 am i gonna ask like was ruggiero diodato a fascist Uh, or fernando de leo or (laughs) like i don't i don't know what this movie's trying to say or who it uh, supports or yeah it's, it's just a very odd nihilistic thing that is entertaining just because holy shit it goes. And, and then has this wild and then has this wild and actually ways of lust has it as well has like the most horribly incongruous theme music like title music that sounds like ways of lust music sounds like it comes from like a kid's show it's just, just like this weird upbeat peppy song about nothing and then live like a cop die like a man, man has like it's like a donovan knockoff about like you know walking down the road in the autumn or something and there's nothing whatsoever to do with the film uh, i don't know where they're sourcing their music from like you you could easily just rescore this to death metal and it would just like re-reify the just utter extremity of the message uh probably could be a hit maybe we should do that we should do like they did it with nosferatu you know death metal nosferatu maybe we need death metal live like a cop die like a man yeah it it is worth checking out just because again it's one of those things like we all know the reactionary uh, fascistic tendencies of, well, let's say a lot of like cannons of war, you know, like your Charles Bronson films, your, your death wishes and what have you. But this is that except there's no mask at all. It's not pretending to be anything else. It's just complete fucking maniacal fascists running down the road, murdering <laughs> people. And you're like, what? What? <laughs> 
It, yeah, I mean, it's a vision so extreme that you could probably fire, show it to far-right reactionaries and they would be like, no, too far. Uh, and, that's, and that's the movie, like, because these guys, these guys would probably kill other cops if they had to. They wouldn't care. They just like killing people. Like, the big laugh of this movie, mm. I think, is when they run over someone's guide dog. Uh, it's like in the opening God chase. They don't. They don't do it. The 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 guys they're chasing just run over a blind man's guide dog, and then there's this long shot of him standing the junction. Uh, his dog has mysteriously disappeared in the long shot, but they have an intercut of the dog lying there with blood all over it and dead. Uh, fake dog, surely, or or stage dog. Don't worry, we've been through this. Diodato <laughs> didn't kill any more animals for this movie, I don't think. But like this, like this, almost like played off as a joke, and he's just just this man standing alone at the crosswalk, shouting for help, like asking, calling his dog's name because he has no idea what's <laughs> happened. Completely irrelevant to the larger action. This happens about three Diodato minutes into the movie. It, <laughs> yeah. Diodato's got a really interesting relationship with blind people. I've learned that throughout the course of <laughs> watching his movies. It's real uh, interesting stuff we're going to talk about later. I feel like show. must have been like uh, 10% of the population was blind in like the 70s in Italy or something. <laughs> that shit's popping up all the damn time in these movies. Yeah, I mean, I suppose uh, Argento oh. would reiterate the scene a little bit yeah. later on with Suspiria when the dog turns on the guy, but it's it's a much more cinematic mm -hmm. scenario when Argento is in charge. <laughs> <You> don't say. <laughs> As opposed to some fucking, like, pooch just getting rammed by a motorcycle. <laughs> well, I oh mean, if you, this would be a fine transition if we're done, because if you want to talk about Diodato <laughs> murdering animals... Uh, Oh, wait, no, that was Waves of Lust. Mm. That was Waves of Lust still does, yeah, he mutilates an eel. I, I thought we yeah. were away from that. Yeah. I thought we'd stayed away from that. But no, they still just cut up a fish in Waves of Lust just because they're just bored and mean. Uh, well, I mean, they also human beings are animals. <laughs> That's true, yeah, they just molest they an octopus for no particular reason. It's like, just leave him alone. He's fucking minding his own business. <laughs> Damn, I thought this was, uh, it was in uh, Raiders of Atlantis just because that movie takes place uh, at sea. So I was like, well, yeah, that, that must have been where the eel was butchered. Place at sea in Florida somewhere, I guess. Uh, it's so funny. It's like they're in Miami and then they get on a boat and they're like, oh, no, what happened? We're on an island. I'm like, I think you just guys, you guys just landed in Cuba. This is a magical place. I think they <laughs> say San Pedro Island at some point. I mean, I'm mm -hmm. guessing that. Yeah. It was filmed yeah. at neither of these places. But yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I like Raiders of Atlantis quite a bit because there's this thing that Diodato does where, you know, whatever he's making at the time, you can tell what he's been watching lately. And I also mentioned earlier, I love when Italian filmmakers just kind of riff on more popular films and genres and do kind of like cheapy knockoff versions. And this is great because it's like, it's early 1980s Italian cinema in one 90-minute package. It's everything. <laughs> it's dumb sci-fi. It's dumb action. It's post-apocalyptic. It's, it's all of that. It's everything, all at once. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, well, you know, until it's not, but... Uh, <laughs> It Boy. covers a lot in 90 minutes, for sure. It covers a lot. See, not knowing anything about and this movie at the start, I was like, is this a Miami Vice ripoff? <laughs> yeah, because it starts with a Miami Vice rip, and then it, and then it turns into kind of a, I, I guess it would be 
like a Mad Max thing slash well, Assault on like Precinct 13. Some Spielberg in there. Not not really uh, Raiders of yeah, the Lost Ark. Little Indiana but, Jones. But it's got that like scientific <laughs> investigation, like a, a Close Encounters type thing, I would say. Or maybe some yeah, Jaws. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. like around that 83 because that was around the time Hong Kong released like Magic Crystal, which is a lot of the same like, you know, artifact and Jackie Chan's Armor of God. You know, they were really into like archaeological adventure, which was definitely an Indiana Jones cash in so yeah it does that for a little bit too and then i think after that kicks in with mad max oh yeah uh, it sure warrior does. <laughs> aesthetic for about 40 oh. minutes of just perpetually just explosions and people falling off things well it does presage the future and in the jones and the crystal skull uh this is a this is a big <laughs> crystal skull film it's true yeah so my favorite thing about the movie is uh, could you possibly think of you know just a better cast of characters. You've got all this cannon fodder. Uh, you've got the uh, wisecracking attitude black guy. You've got fucking Suave, the director of Cemetery Man in the lead, looking pretty fucking old. And then they meet up with their buddy, who's like the third wheel, not quite a protagonist guy. And he just looks like Huey Lewis. So it's great because Suave at this point, he kind of looks like Michael Bolton, but a little more craggy. And it's just, it's it's wonderful. Wonderful to look well, at. Is, and that's is, Michael Christopher, Bolton, Huey Lewis, explosions. Is, isn't Suave one of the guys to meet up with? Because Christopher Connolly is, hangs out originally. I think he's yeah, the Suave's main. Yeah, Suave's not the lead. He's one of the... Yeah, I he's not the lead. Oh, Suave's one of the other guys they pick up. But, I mean, it's it, who cares, frankly? It doesn't really matter who's who in this movie. It ultimately just turns Suave's into a... Huey Lewis. <laughs> it just turns into a weird war of attrition. I mean, talking about this movie, effectively... Um, it's just it's action packed it has so much action in it it has there's about a 40 minute period of it i think where there's like eight stunts per per second or per scene like it's insane it's just gunshots and explosions and guys jumping off stuff and none of it's particularly like stand out amazing like you'd be hard pressed to remember a lot of those sequences from to distinguish them from like uh, about eight films Enzo Castellari made that you know were had the, uh, the word apocalypse in the title, but at the same time, and Adam, you you were talking about this at the time we were watching it, like it feels very dangerous in a way that even oh, if you're looking absolutely. at like you know it's a lot of stock stunt work, like there's an explosion and like four guys forward flip, you know off off you uh, trampolines to do like a flip because the explosion happened and you know it's like you know action 101 kind of stuff but there's just fire everywhere and I, it, there's so much happening in every given scene you're not you don't really know if everyone knew what was happening at any given point it just feels very risky what they were doing here it's, I can't imagine the action coordinator on a film of this budget might have had a handle on everything that's going on here yeah no i mean the whole second act of the movie is like hey you want to watch uh some guys get lit on fire for 15 minutes which the answer is absolutely i do sure uh, and, it, and then it, they it start jumping off helicopters dangerous. like they just yeah. they do a bunch yeah. of see like there's a whole scene in which uh, i think four guys i think in three separate jumps uh just just jump from a helicopter onto a moving bus and that's just, they just do mm -hmm. that and it's yeah. like you're, are you going to die for fucking the Raiders of Atlantis? <laughs> like, was, uh, is, who is signing up for this shit? Yeah, I don't know. There was one. I had a, a friend over while I was watching this thing, and I it, 
there was this one that like caught me immediately. I like winced at it because there's this scene. Well, scene. It's probably like 15 minutes of the movie where they're like just having a gunfight with these Mad Max goons out in the street, uh, and they're like perched up in this in this abandoned building, and one of the goons fires like a, a crossbow bolt that's on fire. And I swear to God, the thing that lands at a board about an inch and a half from a guy's head. And I'm like, it's on fire. I'm like, well, that can't possibly be safe. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. there's definitely like you could see the injuries happening. There's another like before they jump onto the helicopter and they're kind of like on that dock and the guys in the motorcycles are coming after him. At one point, a guy on a motorcycle gets shot. So he like dumps the bike or whatever. And most of the other guys they've shot there's you know these scenes where it's like oh you know they jump off their motorcycle and jump into the ocean and it's fun and this guy he just kind of like lays down the motorcycle and then you watch it kind of like bend back and just smash his fucking leg like just completely <laughs> crush it you're like oh yeah, god i remember that one. yeah it's like I, I remember the stories from the like the set of like choi hawks once upon a time in china they did this there's a scene with with archery where there's arrows coming in and they used real arrows for it right because they're like hardcore hong kong and they paid everyone extra to be hit by arrows or be close they like strapped them with body armor and they had a bunch of master archers and they just shot arrows at people Right. And with, you know, with with control of what they were doing, but basically they trusted these archers to do this. And, you know, you feel like, OK, that's crazy. But at the same time, you know, I imagine they got really good archers. This film just feels like they just found some guys and they're like, hey, you want to do some things? And they're like, fuck, yeah, I do. And that's Raiders of Atlantis. Um, that, That's the movie. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just mayhem. Yeah, I don't yeah, like this. Good. If uh, if the other one was making me wonder who was a, a fascist in seventies Italy, this one, this one's shining some light to me. I'm like, aha! This is why this film industry went bankrupt. Like, because there is so much of this that's like so goddamn. Like the sets in this movie are ridiculous in the second act. I'm like, this is way too elaborate. What are we doing here? Yeah, like, their their torn apart sets are amazing. Yeah, looking. they're fantastic. And I can't like I can't tell you what the plot of this movie is. I have absolutely no fucking goddamn idea. It's it's great. <laughs> uh, the, I'm I'm really impressed because because it's called Raiders of Atlantis, and so I I assumed with that title that they would be raiding Atlantis, <laughs> right? Atlantis would show mm-hmm. up, and they would they would go to Atlantis, and they'd raid. Is fancy things from it but no it seems like honestly it's it reverses that that the raiders are <laughs> from atlantis and they're coming to our place yeah. to fuck us up and the only thing that really separates people from atlantis from us is that they scream with reverb when they die uh which at first i thought was a mistake but then it seemed to be like an artistic decision like they're not quite human so oh, every like, time one of them dies it's like a little echo on their scream explain any of this to me though like is this uh uh, are the Mad Max men actually Atlanteans? Are they being in some way controlled for... by Atlanteans? Because uh, the Atlanteans Unclear. seem to live in like a uh, like a peaceful jungle or between or below the ground in like some sort of Logan's Run futurism you gotta, society. You gotta have the muscle, man. You gotta have the muscle. That's why you got. That's why you got Plastic Skull and his boys 
to, to keep but you where safe. Where are these guys do all your raiding for you? Are they like they just living in our society when, when, and waiting when to stuff... be activated? Or are they uh, just traveling yeah. or what? I don't know. We don't know. I mean, I think they live among people in Florida is the lesson. Just yeah, they're, they're just Florida, ready guys. to go. And it's like, it's go time. <laughs> Let's go. And they just strap up onto their weird motorcycles and they just uh, ride around yeah. setting fire to stuff. How many of them are I... there? <laughs> Enough. Uh, there's God. How, the body count in this movie must be in the like low two hundreds. <laughs> People dying everywhere I, in this thing. And what's going I on? I hope at when the Colin end? makes the video for this, I hope he uses the uh, the scene where they like pull that wire taut when the motorcycle guy drives by and it cuts <laughs> his head off, and then it immediately switches like it fucking reverses the shot. That he just watched the motorcycle with a fucking mannequin and no head just kind of wobble around and fall over. <laughs> There's a That's real a bad arrow. There's a real bad arrow to the head too in that similar in that building sequence. <laughs> There's like this daughter who just gets introduced for no reason other than to die immediately. It, it's a rough mannequin <laughs> but I like there explain. is one great scene okay. well, because there's the full body burn where they do where they oh, set yeah. her on fire mm-hmm. and honestly it's yeah. like yeah you watch it and you're like you know okay you, I can see it's a model it's like it's a mannequin they've set it on fire but in the first second when it hits viscerally it is really like I don't know it really yeah. worked on me because it Pretty is intense. very human form <laughs> moving and it is yeah. completely engulfed in flames and you're kind of like holy shit and then you kind of like go back from that it's like okay I see how they did it but it's it's a pretty pretty solid special effect within within all the other mayhem like that's one of the things that stands out in a film that is otherwise seems to be just full of people trying to kill themselves it is weird because that, that's like the best <laughs> kill and the worst kill and it's this mother and daughter and they're killed within like the span of 30 seconds uh, it's just like <laughs> oh here's an amazing effect and here's the worst one you'll ever see <laughs> uh, stack them back to back we'll call it a day but like to me th- this is what i ask is is okay so i guess the plot is uh, there, there are atlanteans walking among us and when the russian nuclear sub activates atlantis uh they will decide that now is the time to rise up uh, and kill us all, uh, Mad Max style. But yeah. but also, exactly. what is happening on the island with the love interest who's become like a, an Atlantean priestess and, and is trying to use like the magic mind computer to uh, make the Atlanteans reborn? Like, what what the hell's all that did? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you just that mind computers. You gotta, you gotta get reborn, man. It's, Presumably, it's all, all that was stuff, all that was gonna get cleared up in uh, Raiders of Atlantis too, but they forgot to make it clearly. Yeah, and then you, at the end, you're like convinced, right? Like she, she seems to be on the side of the Atlanteans, and then all of a sudden, she just kind of like spookily shows up in in their helicopter, and you're like, all right, this is this is going for one of the classic stupid twist endings, and it, instead, it just doesn't. <laughs> He just smooches it. It just ends. (laughs) I think because they just probably ran out of time or money or care and they just they're just like fine we got 90 minutes in the can let's let's release it and that's like it's it's wild how slapdash this film is and yet how full of really crazy stuff uh it's it's kind of a strange one again um you know, I suppose it's in, it's it is indicative of that kind of Italian action cinema of of the era. It just feels a little bit more kind of unpredictable than the others but not as good it's it's not it's 
totally unstructured, honestly, in terms of what's happening. So there's very little dramatic through line, but the action is chaotic and and much wilder mm-hmm. than like I think of you know a lot of the other like warriors of the future and so on. Uh, you know, like the action's crazy, but it's not as quite as exciting a movie because frankly, yeah. you don't really know why anyone is doing any of this shit half the time, well, and everyone's there's a interchangeable. Real to what Diodato's doing here too, because there's there's a straight loop through line from "Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man" to uh, Raiders of Atlantis, in that yeah, it's just he's got these these action vignettes in his head, and how they tie together is irrelevant to him. He's just he's very committed to just like keep it moving, keep it exploding, keep it on fire, which I respect. Uh, this one worked a little bit better for me just because I think. I don't know. I have I have more of a connection to like Mad Max style riffs as opposed to 70s cop movies. Also, it was nice because not everyone was a dick in this movie. I mean, a lot of dickheads, don't get me wrong, but uh, it's it's nice to have someone to root for. But to your point, no one could ever explain the plot to you in a coherent way because there is no coherent plot. There's there's just it's a total formless blob. But if you're going to make a formless blob, I want it exploding. I want it on fire. And I also want hilarious, like miniature, uh, like cities getting hit by waves. And I want hilarious submarine footage. I want all of that. And I got it. So it's true. It has it all. Yeah. It's that rare breed of script where it doesn't just have plot holes. It's like the plot holes are specifically where the plot should have been. Like, it's not just like if you think about it a little bit, you're like, oh, they never really explained that. It's like front and center. There's just omissions, glaring omissions throughout to structure any of it. But, you know, it it doesn't really matter uh, because, yeah, I mean, it's an action movie. It's it. it, There's a hell of a lot going on here. Uh, You there's very little time to think about why stuff is happening. I guess that's what they were going for chiefly. So, yeah, I mean, like I say, mm-hmm. not not one of the, the greats, I would say, of the genre. But, I mean, you could do a lot worse. I would still take this over plenty of other more uh, storied and, uh, uh, what would you say, more respectable action films, you know. Uh, for example, just the other <laughs> yeah. day I watched on Netflix, Interceptor. Uh, which is also set on on like a an outpost, not an oil rig, but like a rig where they intercept nuclear missiles, and uh, is boring as shit compared to Raiders of Atlantis. Uh, so, you know, there you go. And one of them's on Netflix, and the other one isn't. So that sucks. They should swap them out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure all of our listeners right now they're like, I love the first episode. I'm really enjoying this. I'm gonna check out some Diodato. You guys have convinced me. I have overlooked him. I have made horrible mistakes in my life. And then they're asking themselves, but what was our boy doing in the 90s? And uh, he was doing what every old Italian filmmaker was doing in the 90s, which was watching the Italian film industry rapidly decay around them uh, while they grasp for, you know, whatever thing around them they can hold on to to try and stay afloat. And in this case, uh, our boy, he, he made a bold choice, we'll say. Uh, during a time where, you know, maybe uh, the more trashy, hardcore aspects of, of certain giallo films had fallen out of favor, Ruggiero Diodato doubled down and he said, I'm going to make the sleaziest movie I can possibly make in 1993 and it's going to look like shit and it's going to have an amazing score by Claudio Simonetti. And that's pretty much the only thing that kind of announces that it's a nineties movie because of the, like just the 
the sound choices that he's making. Oh, I don't think uh, this but, movie yeah. looks like shit. I think that it just doesn't have any sort of decent existing print. No, but but if I told you this was made in, in 1983 instead of 1993 or 1975 instead of 1980, you'd be like, yeah, that, that sure. makes sense. I mean, I suppose like if, no if you want to think about where to categorize the washing machine, uh, it was shot, it's an Italian film that was shot in Hungary and never and never got released in Italy. This didn't even get released in Italy, let alone wherever else yeah. else it might have it's made, made its for way. Five dollars, and that was the Italian film industry in the nineties. I mean, Ruggiero Diodato, the director of Cannibal Holocaust, was his movies weren't even getting released at home anymore, and he couldn't shoot there. Uh, and yeah, I mean, this thing is this one's interesting because it's like it's based on a play, apparently. Which I, I don't understand how. I like. Well, I'm, I'm curious to how it would be based on a play because they kind of go all over the place, but it's still a very insular. It's a play. You gotta like insert quarters for the window to open so you can watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Could be, yeah. Um, it, but yeah, it's it's not a bad movie, frankly. And and I think we're back in this this tier where Diodato was just able to. He just had enough control to kind of like imbue enough kind of mystique into this kind of a film to make it work even though it is it is a very sleazy like it's an erotic thriller but it's it's really kind of softcore porn for large stretches yeah. of it yeah uh, but it yeah. kind of it kind of works i mean if you <laughs> were like oh, waves of lust, like, you should have gone further with the sex shit like well <laughs> i guess he's yeah, answered yeah. that fucking challenge 20 years on he was like he heard the call yep. he's like all right we we can do this yeah. And boy, does he ever because, you know, you got these three sisters and uh, this cop trying to solve a, a murder, an alleged murder, uh, because a man, of course, the, he was found in the titular washing machine dead. And uh, his big problem is he just can't stop banging these chicks. It's it's awful. You know, he's like, I'm trying to solve this fucking mystery, but these women are driving these, me crazy. These three sisters who don't look anything alike and keep just stripping no. off in front of me and evading my questions. Uh, and we can't find a body for this murder that apparently took place uh, and it's all it's all going going crazy and the the detectives having trouble separating reality from fiction while his wife uh, is is you know getting angry in the background and then there's a twist everybody <laughs> and that's that's the washing machine my favorite part is at one point his wife like calls him out and she's just like i just I, I don't know how you've been behaving for the past few weeks. It's like, I don't know you anymore. Are you having an affair? And he's like, listen, toots, I'm having three affairs and they're all sisters and they're driving me crazy. And then he just like throws his wife on the ground. Yeah. And then he like opens up his dresser. <laughs> what and it's are like, you Here's doing? my fucking bondage set. Turns out I'm a maniac. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what the? Okay. Scene. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, it's really regular good stuff. And, and Diodato, I mean, he uses uh, the Hungarian city uh, to his advantage as much as he can, uh, makes great use of a museum uh, wherein uh, our hero cop uh, bangs a chick against a marble pillar while three blind people fumble around 
not knowing what's going on. That's really... where we get more blind stuff. I'd forget, yeah, the, the whole blind subplot here. These are things that recur in Diodato films, right? Is blind people, yeah. animal cruelty, and people who won't shut the fucking fridge. These are the three things <laughs> that tie his films because between this movie and House in the Edge of the Park, they have people who just open fridge doors and then just wander around for a while. And frankly, mm-hmm. I'm not down for that kind of energy wastage. That's just I don't would do actually that. argue, though, I would say that, you know, we, we know he's known for his animal cruelty, but I think the cat in the washing machine is the best treated, not only just animal, but character in general. Because people keep living, leaving the fridge open and then they like knock things out of the fridge because like I, I think like two of them get banged against the fridge while the door is open and they're just yes. dumping like fucking meat on the ground <laughs> and the cat walks over and eats it. It's great. Deeply unsexy scenes in, in both. It's on. This isn't a very sexy film. The women are, are attractive and there's lots and lots of sex, but it's it's portrayed in a really uncomfortable, gross kind of way throughout um maybe maybe yeah. a part of that is also because it looks like shit because of, as we've mentioned this uh i think probably what we were watching is sourced from an old uk dvd maybe i don't think this one has ever made it to the u.s either um just like no. dial help hasn't um and we need we need to fix this we need where's where's the the big diodato box set we need i don't need a sparkling restoration of the washing machine so i can i want, fully I want diodato in the 80s or i guess it wouldn't be 80s because washing machine is 90s but like late diodato i guess so you get like dial help and and washing machine and he he did another what was the other one he did in the late 80s before washing machine um shit it's gonna drive me nuts uh oh phantom of death 87. Yeah, Phantom of Death, that, which is another entertaining movie with uh, incredible performance of Michael York playing in a rapidly mm-hmm. aging. It's like it's like Francis Ford Coppola's Jack, except if the guy went mad and just started murdering people instead. So it's uh, yeah. I guess it's not quite because he's not a child, but you know, there's still very very dumb movie. Uh, just so much Diodato out there from the 80s and and 90s that people. You know, they're, they're not touching all these companies out there. What are you what are you doing? Vinegar syndrome Severn, What are you doing? It's all here for you. It, it is true. You could be a washing like, machine fan. You, you think just like I, it seems like a tried and true mechanism of horror cinema is from the director of Cannibal Holocaust sells films. Uh huh. So what what is happening yeah. here? Why are we why do we have this 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 drought? Yeah, well, I, 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 I have no I idea. Mean, you mean the Blu-ray drought? Because <laughs> I think the career drought is, uh, well. I we, I'd, I've never heard of half the people in these movies. I don't know who they are. I mean, I've watched a certain amount of Italian cinema. Like this one, frankly, uh, the, the actors, they have other stuff. And like, I don't think I've seen them in anything else. Uh, you know, yeah, the, the, well, and the guy that plays the detective, he he doesn't have the right look for it. Like not your, your classic Italian cop look at all. He looks like a guy who should be standing in the background during one of the car crashes and live like a cop, die like a man. He does not look like he should be leading the investigation here or have like three horny sisters trying to bang him. It doesn't sell for me. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, um, it's a, well, I mean, actually it's funny. I'm looking at a Philip. Uh, what's his name is, is, Philippe Caro and and his first his first role was actually in a Romare film in The Aviator's Wife. So I guess you know, from from Romare to and within within the same like in one year on he was in Fulci's Enigma as a role of mm. student. So I mean this man he quickly found his level clearly. 
Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, but yeah, this one is, I, I don't know. If you're into Giallo movies or if you're into, if you watch a lot of Diodato, I, I would recommend this one. Like, it's, it's fucking weird. I'm not going to say it's like great or anything, but it's, it's just so sleazy and so curiously cheap and bizarre uh, that, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it's, it's a different flavor, Giallo. I'd, I'd agree. Mind you, I don't think I'd use the word Giallo. I, I think we even bumped it because I, I have a hard time even calling it horror, really. Yeah, I mean. Uh, yeah, softcore with a mystery that's not very mysterious. Yeah, it's very much an erotic <laughs> thriller, but it's also like, it's got, one of the things that I think was a lot more noticeable in his horror work is that there was always this sort of very distinct editing cadence. Like, I, I think that the post-production on his work in the horror genre specifically is very uh, singular and unique. And it, it's recognizable and it, it lends everything a very sort of disjointed feel. And probably in this, more than any other film that is necessary like if this thing was not edited in this way yeah. that was like constantly disorienting you it would probably be fucking terrible <laughs> but because it is it mm -hmm. like consistently engages you you're always interested because you never know exactly what the fuck's going on like where he is uh, why he's even investigating any of this like it's just got this really strange uh unmoored like dreamlike quality to it and again we're saying it looks like shit but i don't think that's anything to do with diodato like especially some of the intro scenes no, cheap. <laughs> with the fridge and your washing machine and blah 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 there's like a lot of really striking stuff uh it's just you know it's a it's a terrible print there's nothing that exists of it that uh that mm -hmm. looks better than VHS almost. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's doing good work with obviously limited resources, and I think Diodato even went on, on file himself, or on record himself, talking about this movie, saying that he he lamented the fact that he really didn't have the resources to make to make the film look the way it should have, you know, and, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's 1993 uh, sexual thriller that was always going to be, you know, it was always going to make its money back on home video if it was going to make it at all. And it sounds like it barely even got a chance to do that. So, yep. yeah, that's, you know, going with tempered expectations. But I agree. I think it's a solid film. It will keep you guessing in an entertaining way. And once it answers questions, they're not really answers. They're just additional occurrences. No, just... But it's kind <laughs> yeah. of fun. Yeah, the uh, the the solutions like oh, I guess there's a briefcase full of jewels. I'm like, was, was that it? Was, was that a thing earlier in the movie? Like, I don't in in the <laughs> God in the strip club, the strip club scenes in this movie are some of the dingiest <laughs> looking Euro trash oh. stuff I've ever seen. Uh, kind of incredible, yeah. frankly. So you know, yeah, bring bring this one in. This this is uh, frankly of of this episode. You know, next to live like a cop, die like a man, I'd probably, you know, which which I, I have already clarified, I don't think is necessarily a great movie. I think it's just such a singularly unpleasant one that it's kind of a useful barometer for a genre. Uh, I think The Washing Machine might actually be the most entertaining to sit through of these for me. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> um, I'm with because, you. I think it's yeah. one of the stronger films, obviously, even though it's, it's just a bizarre fucking thing. But I don't know. It, there's something about... The final product for me, the early, is is just kind of strange enough to uh, just keep me consistently engaged to the point where I'm like, okay, this is a, 
this is an interesting film, and that is rare in, uh, especially in a 1993 Italian genre film. Uh, we had gotten past the point of interesting mm. at this stage, so good work. Yeah, it's got a little <laughs> bit of that that Fulci vibe of just yeah, like it's just a little disconnect, oh, yeah. a little a little bit too much space between scenes and and lines and and kind of like geography of the film that just kind of makes you uncertain about how everything connects and it it works mm. pretty pretty well it's it's yeah. you know and it, and the thing is i think i'm not even sure if it even hits 90 minutes uh you know it's it's not going to take a lot of your time so i think definitely mm. one for people who are just looking for something a little different uh, and and definitely full of sleaze like it is actually just loaded with with goofy sex nonsense um but if you're if you're good yeah, with that I, check it out I, I think I think my my final hard sell on it would be uh, let's say you just watch Fulci's The Devil's Honey, and you're like, man, I love the movie where a guy plays a saxophone into a woman's vagina in order to bring her to climax, and but then you're like, I wish that that movie had one tenth of the budget, ten times the amount of sex, and was a lot weirder. The Washing Machine. That's your next move. Just go go make it. Go make it. No one else is making this move. You should make it. Watch the Washington. No show. one else is making this movie. That that is hundred percent accurate. <laughs> That's what you got to do. All right. Well, we got to wrap things up. So, uh, Jack, what are you putting over this week? Uh, I'm I'm going to put over two things very briefly. First off, Skinamarink is in cinemas now as the recording of this thing. If you can go see it in a cinema, do it's it's doing pretty well. It costs fifteen grand. We did a whole podcast episode on it, so you can you can search back and, and check that out. But it's it's great and it's exciting and it's different. So if you could throw throw a couple of bucks at it, I highly recommend you do. Hopefully, get a good audience that can get on on the level with it, or at least try and get on this level. It's the kind of movie where you know I wouldn't hate anyone who didn't like it, but I think everyone should probably give it a go. And then if you want to stay home uh, instead, I recently saw a movie called Saloon which is a Senegalese action horror movie, which came out in 2021. It did festivals, but it came out in America for home viewing in 2022. So I caught it as part of my annual catch up. And I'd never heard anything about this movie. And then after I was like praising it to the ceiling, uh, everyone came out and was like, oh yeah, you finally watched that one. It's like, why did no one fucking tell me about this movie? So I'm here to tell you about this movie. It's Saloom. It's about these three mercenaries who get caught up in this like odd situation where they have to lay low in this hotel uh, on the banks of the Saloom River in Senegal. It's great. If there's any problem with it, it's that the opening half, which is just everyone feeling each other out, it's probably better than the back half where everything explodes, but it's all really, really good. Uh, so yeah, Saloon. Check it out. It's on Shudder, and you probably, you can find it elsewhere too, I'm sure. But uh, really super cool movie. Well worth looking at. Myros, what are you putting over this week? Uh, well, I've got to drop the whole gamer gadget because I'm just, I don't actually do things. Um, but I did watch a recent movie for once, so considering I'm probably going to be back to recommending ancient shit soon, I might as well put it over because I kind of liked it. And that is The Menu. Uh, it's not going to blow your mind, uh, but it is uh, quite entertaining actually a decent uh humane length and uh ray fines uh is fantastic as this sort of 
scenery chewing maniac uh and it is yeah yeah it is i I don't again it's blunt social commentary it's it's kind of exactly what you go in expecting but it's also it's just fun just don't think about it too hard and uh yeah just have fun with it and you'll be good to go uh that that is the menu well, uh, I'm going to put over two things, because I can do whatever the fuck I want. Uh, first thing, I started reading Dario Argento's autobiography. It's called Fear. It doesn't suck. It has the worst cover I have ever seen for a book. Uh, but you know what they say about covers of books, uh, and, uh, the, you know, that's saying it applies here. It's uh, it's really interesting, and uh, it's, it's nice, because he's kind of getting up there in age, so... Uh, a lot of books have been written about him, but it's nice to hear about his life in his own words. Uh, also, hey, Elden Ring, I'm still playing through it. Fucking 120 hours, Jack. It's called Commitment. You like that? Just, uh, 120 just hours? Volcano just... Manor? Oh, very good, yeah. No, just another 50 hours or so to go, you'll be, you'll be where, I'm, where I'm at, so get on my level, yeah. Steve. I'm, I'm, fu- I'm fucking around in that mountaintop of giants, baby. I did that whole thing wrong uh, with Volcano Manor because I wandered in and I found a secret passage and then I forgot to talk to anyone. And then later on, I looked back and it was like, oh, there was a whole storyline there. (laughs) It's a whole side quest. (laughs) Yeah, but you know what's cool? I was able to go back and I was able to to pick up most of it. I was was still able to platinum the game despite accidentally walking away from a whole room full of people. I didn't find that room until like (laughs) after I'd killed everyone. So, oops, my bad. That's amazing. Oh, well, good boss, though. Giant snake that turns into a giant snake with a face on it. And he pulls it's the sword cool. out of his dead snake I, I like it, it too, rocks. because they just give you the sword to kill him really easily. Because honestly, I kind of wish they did that for mm-hmm. all of them, because it would have saved me a lot of death. Yeah, it makes things a lot easier. But yeah, I, I got a lot of respect for a boss who, you know, he's a snake and you're, you're trying to kill him. But he's like, what if we were friends and we just kill God together? That's a, that's a cool thing to ask someone. So, uh, yeah, maybe maybe try that out. Next time your friends are like, hey, what do you want to do this weekend? You say, why don't we try and kill God? Think about that. Anyways, if you enjoyed the show this week, well, that's great. Do us a big favor. We got a Patreon. You can give us money. What happens if you give us money? Well, I if you donate at any level, I'm going to send you a movie from my personal collection in the mail. Will it be a copy of The Washing Machine? No, because I, I don't even know where I would get something like that. But yeah, you never know what you're going to get. You know, I, I was actually, I was at uh, Value Village the other day, which is like a chain of shitty thrift stores. And uh, there was a copy of uh, Hellraiser 3 for $1, which I purchased uh, because it was it was 50% off day. So I actually paid 50 cents for Hellraiser 3. You could be the proud owner of a Hellraiser 3 VHS. Jack, how much joy would it bring you if a package just arrived on your doorstep and you unwrapped Hellraiser 3 on VHS? Oh my god, CD Cenobite on magnetic tape. That's that sounds like an incredible mm-hmm. an incredible experience. It's just a mixture of of digital and analog technologies really at the heart of the whole medium. Wonderful. Steve, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to ask exactly. that you, exactly. that you don't suggest to our patrons that what uh, what their perk <laughs> might be is a 50 cent <laughs> item that is uh, <laughs> probably unplayable by 
Adam, you, you know Steve isn't <laughs> you know Steve isn't parting with a fifty cent VHS of Hellraiser three. Like that's probably just yeah. gonna get like put in a pride of place in his living room. This is true. Yeah, that's gonna get that's gonna get fucking put in like a a, a glass case somewhere. Uh, but I but you know I I do send out good shit. I sent out a uh, I sent out a Blu-ray of Texas Chainsaw two. Uh, sent out a copy of Roadhouse. Motherfucking Roadhouse. Come on, who doesn't love Roadhouse? Uh, I, I've sent out some good shit. Uh, so yeah, you know, you, you never know what you're going to get, but it'll probably be not half bad. So eh, who knows? In addition to that, if you donate at higher levels, well, guess what? You get your name read out on the air. If you do that $5 and above level. So who are our $5 and above patrons? Uh, look what's happened here. This is not a new patron. I believe this is Kofax Kropotkin who has now changed their name to Hoofy Hoof. As if that's something I, I, <laughs> I wish to read on the air, but uh, here we are. Uh, so we have Hoofy so Hoof, uh, CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. Shout out to Hoofy Hoof. Uh, hey, I actually, Hoofy, I was thinking maybe you should change your name next week to Adam Myros is a dumb bitch. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, isn't the whole point of the suggestion. Patreon that they can just make you do whatever they want, Adam? Is that you're like the little puppet on yeah, the screen? Yeah, they make you say fucked up shit. Yeah, you little puppet boy. The point of the That's Patreon right. is is just to help us pay a few bills, Jack. Yeah, nothing more, nothing less. And to embarrass you, Adam. That is well, also I the mean, point. That, that Specifically can, to embarrass you. If that you. Is, is what is required for uh, just a little humble help for a product you enjoy, well, you know, I might suggest we all take a long look in the mirror, but, uh, you know. <laughs> fair enough uh but yeah i mean if you don't at any level obviously you get uh the whole optimism vaccine backlog plus uh stuff that's only available to patrons uh special patreon episodes are actually kicking around there's a few more uh diodados out there that we didn't cover and uh we might we might do a little bonus episode a little shorty bonus episode for you guys uh who are patrons so look forward to that uh, and then, of course, if you donate at the highest level, the $25 level, then you get to dictate an episode. How exciting for you. You get to tell us what to do. Uh, it, so it's kind of like telling Adam Myros what your name is, but but now you get to you get to really make his life miserable. You've been listening to the podcast. You're a mega fan. You're saying, I'm donating the $25 because I'm committed to this. And because of that commitment, you know Adam Myros' hopes, dreams, fears, all of it. And you want to make him as miserable as humanly possible. And you can do that. You can absolutely do that. So think about that. Uh, other than that, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Uh, or you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine. And we'd love to hear from you. So, uh, gentlemen, it's been lovely. And we'll be back next week.